From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, January 20th. Every January, the city of Bluff hosts a hot air balloon festival. This year, 25 pilots came from across the U.S. to fly their balloons over the red rocks of Cedar Mesa. And visitors come to see the colorful balloons float through the sky. And if they're lucky, like KZMU's Emily Arnson, they'll sometimes even hitch a ride. All right, no smoking. Got really good pressure. Look at her face. Yeah, I was not expecting yeah. that. <laughs> Hot air balloon pilot Marilyn Wallace is warming up her burner for today's flight. The heat from this 10-foot flame will eventually lift her two-and-a-half-ton balloon into the air and carry her as far as her fuel will take her. The pilots are starting to unroll their 80-foot-long balloons and fill them with hot air. Today's flight pattern? They don't know yet. That's up to the wind. So there's not really a way to direct the steering or... No, you cannot steer a balloon. You're on God's good humor. You just go with the winds. Brian Hill has been flying hot air balloons for 23 years. Before he was a hot air balloon pilot, he flew planes. How is it different than an airplane? Uh, well, an airplane, you're plugged into your aircraft, and it's all about controlling your aircraft. Flying a balloon is more of a zen form of aviation. Whatever nature gives you, you have to work with it. To get a ride in a hot air balloon, people usually need to pay and schedule the ride in advance. But after Brian was done taking his sponsors on their tour, he very generously invited me to fly with him. Here we go. Oh my God. Okay, up, 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 up. <gasps> wow. I'm just gonna go up and give you a little bit of view. There's the bears here. Wow. You know, I really enjoy it here. Yeah. See, there, now there's Lone Cone and Lizard Head, Hesperus Ridge, that's where Durango Mountain is. And over this way you can start to see, you can see part of Monument Valley. This is a good view. So what are you thinking about when you're up here? I'm thinking about, uh, I'm, I'm just thinking about, I'm always trying to look about where I'm going to land, what my options are. Do I like the direction I'm going? You see the smoke down there, how it's going this way? Yep. So I think if I go down, I'm going to go back this way, but I'm not sure about that. I never know. Is there anything I have to know for landing? Yep, you're going to have to bend your knees and hold on to that. Okay. Now this is going to be a little faster than the last landing. Okay. Because we're up here on the Mesa. So this is where I want you guys to both hang on. Gonna drag a little bit. Basically, to stop a balloon, it has to skip like a stone across the ground until it slows down. After we deflated and packed up the balloon, Brian handed out cups of champagne and told the story of why this is the preferred beverage of hot air balloon pilots. Ready? It also happens to be the story of the first hot air balloon. We Americans like to think that we are the ones that came up with aviation, right? What are we taught in school? What does the, the U.S. education system tell us? 
They tell us it's the Wright brothers. However, that's wrong. It was the French. Back in the 1780s, the Montgolfier brothers lived out on a farm, and they were also happened to be paper makers. They were finishing up one of their projects, their big paper projects out there on the farm, and they were burning the scraps. And one of the scraps went in, and it just happened to be shaped like a sack, and it went up, and it went up into the sky, and they go, smoke goes up. Nature's trying to teach us a lesson. What if we build a great big sack, fill it full of that magic smoke? I wonder if we could put something up in the air. Went right to work on the idea. They built this great big sack, got some of that magic smoke, got the heat in there, and up it came. Well, they had this kind of this picnic basket tied to the bottom of it. They looked around and they grabbed a duck, a goat, and a chicken, threw it in the basket, cut the ropes, and off it went, and it worked. And their neighbors are out working in the field. They look up in the sky and they see this big bulbous thing, belching black smoke, and they see the goat's head. And they said, oh my God, the Montgolfiers just summoned something from hell. <laughs> and they panicked and they ran into the barn and they got pitchforks, torches, back, well, I don't know what they had, but everything they could find, they brought out and they were gonna kill the crop monster from hell. And as this thing came down and finally landed, they went out there and just shredded this thing to bits. And there was all this commotion, and the Mangafiers finally caught up, and the peasants were furious and said, Mangafiers, you're into some kind of crazy hocus-pocus stuff over there. We're going to tell the king. And so back in those days, that's pretty serious. So now, here the Mangafiers pulled off this incredible feat, and now they're in great trouble. The constable's taken them to the king for possible sentencing, and the Mangafiers were, were, were thinking people. And they grabbed six bottles of champagne from their neighbor, who made some great champagne. And off to the king they went. So the king says, Montgolfiers, you have some very serious charges. What do you have to say for yourself? And they just told them the story of what they did. And it, and it worked. And, it, and, Mangof, and the king's like, well, that's, that's kind of, that, huh. So the king scratched his head. What do you got there? He says, well, this is champagne from our neighbor. So they popped the cork and they started drinking. And they kind of connected with the king there a little bit. So now they're in the bottle number five. And the king says, you know, that, that's a pretty clever thing you did. What else do you think you can do? And the Montgolfier said, well, we king, we think that we could fly a person. We think people can fly. And the light came on in the king. Because in those days, the French king and the pope were not getting along too good. They were arguing. And the church taught that we, what we just did today, mankind would never do. That that was strictly reserved for angels. So the king thought, Montgolfier, I'm going to write you a check. You go build a big, beautiful balloon. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to put on a big show downtown Paris. So the, the Montgolfiers took the check, went and started working on that big, new, beautiful balloon. Well, in the meantime, there's a French nobleman named Palatre, which is where we get the English word pilot. That's very good. Palatre and his buddy went to the king and said, King, we want the honor of doing this. And the king says, all right, so. So they set a date, November 1783. Up comes this new, big, beautiful balloon. Palatre and his buddy stepped into the gondola and they cut the ropes and off it went. The first man flight took place. History books say it went 6,000 feet. So they started to cool back off and came down into the French countryside just like before. The peasants were out there in the field. They didn't know what was going on in the big city. Here they see this big bulbous thing belching black smoke with two human figures in there. They thought it was the devil from hell. And Palatre, they gave it some thought. They already lost one aircraft. They didn't want to lose two. So they stepped off the balloon and they said, no, no, we're not devils. We're not from hell. We're men just like you. This is our new flying machine. Come and join us in Champagne and, and celebrate with us for, the, with, for flying. And the aircraft was saved. And that's why here, 230 years later, 
that's where you get the tradition of champagne and ballooning. Well, this was very inspiring. So this, this Catholic priest up in Ireland wrote this prayer. And it goes like this. The winds have welcomed you with softness. The sun has blessed you with warm hands. You have flown so high and so well that God has joined you in your laughter and set you gently back into the loving arms of Mother Earth. Here, Toast. Here. Cheers. Cheers. To schedule a hot air balloon ride for next year, you can contact the event organizers, the business owners of Bluff. For KZMU, I'm Emily Ernson. The Grand County Commission was in session this week. So what happened at the what meeting? Happened at the what meeting? happened at the meeting? What happened at the meeting? Whatever happened, what happened at the meeting? At the meeting? What uh, exactly happened at the meeting? Maggie McGuire with the Moab Sun News answers. At the January 17th Grand County Commission meeting, the main topic was a meeting with State Representative Phil Lyman, who reportedly indicated that he planned to push to repeal recent tourism tax reforms that benefit Grand County as a punitive action. In 2021, Grand County successfully worked with then County Representative Carl Albrecht to pass a bill allowing more flexibility in TRT spending which makes up a substantial portion of Grand County's budget. Should those reforms be repealed, officials say property taxes will have to be increased to fund sheriff's office and other services. Elected officials also gave a green light to the first four potential developers to use the recently approved alternative dwelling overlay, which allows non-traditional housing like RVs and tiny homes, and also heard from a representative of the Colorado River Authority of Utah on a water conservation pilot program. And that's what happened at this week's Grand County Commission meeting. This exercise in civics is a collaboration between the Moab Sun News and KZMU News. And now the weekly newsreel where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. As we've heard, the biggest topic at this week's Grand County Commission meeting was a potential state bill that could really hit the local budget. State Representative Phil Lyman aims to partly repeal legislation that changed the way Grand County can use their transient room tax revenue. County staff says proposed changes would be devastating financially to departments like the sheriff's office. The Times Independent's Doug McMurdo says Representative Lyman is drawing connections between his proposed rollback and an ongoing state audit investigating compliance issues in Grand and San Juan counties. Here's Doug. The sheriff, search and rescue. It's not the 10,000 locals who live in Grand County that require those guys to work so hard and go on so many missions and rescue missions and and spend so much time on public lands. That's an impact created by tourists. So using TRT money to fund those vital services, it's only fair because if you don't, you're putting all of that on the backs of the residents of Grand County. So to me, it's punitive. It's absolutely, they're going after Grand County because we got uppity and they don't like that in Salt Lake. What's interesting to me is that, yes, this is very clear from staff and elected officials that if this was repealed, it would be devastating for the budget. However, you know, there's no language yet. Just even the suggestion of repealing it has our elected officials kind of up in arms. I agree. And I think that Grand County learned a lesson in 2018 about not paying attention to what's going on. Mm-hmm in Salt Lake during the se- when the session is open, because that's how we got the change in government debacle. I mean, I, I have a suspicion that this is kind of the same kind of scenario 
where somebody's whispering in Lyman's ear and uh, they're a constituent and um, obviously somebody that has that has his ear. Uh, there's a second story on mm-hmm. page two regarding this. And Lyman, when uh, Sophia Fisher, a reporter, interviewed him, he said that his TRT rollback potential legislation is literally tied to the state audit underway right now mm-hmm. uh, in Grand and San Juan counties with uh, inappropriate influence from uh, Grand County and San Juan County, uh, Grand County officials, Grand County NGOs, specifically uh, SUA and uh, RUP, the Rural Utah Project. That investigation is still going on and probably won't conclude until April, the audit, not the investigation. Um, And they're not going to say too much about what they found until that audit is concluded. So tying the TRT rollback to this audit, that's not even complete. We don't even have the results of it in yet. We have no idea. I, I do know that there's no evidence in my face. Everything that was that that we heard about, um, it was just a whole lot of sound and fury signifying nothing, mm-hmm. you know, to fall back on that old trope. Connecting these two situations, you know, potentially repealing or amending a bill that um, has a lot to do with funding impacts from tourism to this audit raises a lot of questions about the function of our state elected officials. Yes, and we have spoken to the auditor. Mm -hmm. He gave us a rather candid interview, a surprisingly candid interview, and I encourage people to read that story. Mm -hmm. There's no evidence has been found to to date, but we still have three more months to go, and a lot can be uncovered. I'm interested. I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath for the results of this audit. An interview with Lyman, our representative Lyman, um, is in this week's edition of the Times Independent. And where do you want to take us next in this paper? Let's talk about something that's kind of good news. Okay. The the commission um, on Tuesday uh, gave an initial thumbs up to four applicants for the alternative dwelling overlay. Alternative dwelling overlay are people who have appropriate properties that could be a home to camper vans, RVs, even tents, I I think is on the table on that one. It's just another outside-the-box method to to look at the affordable housing crunch that we have. Um, Now, I want to be very clear that they did not approve anything. What they did was that they looked at some proposals. Mm -hmm. I believe they looked at eight of them. Four of them, they they told the applicant or the would-be applicant, we probably would not okay this down the road, which is just a way of letting them know, right. quit spending your money. But they gave a thumbs up, as our headline says, to, to four of them um, that did meet the criteria. And one of them, I actually drove out there uh, yesterday, right before deadline, and it's a property on 400 north okay. between the city's water treatment plant and the entrance to the wetlands. The swamp. Yeah. I don't know why they call it a swamp because <laughs> to me it looked like a winter wonderland. <laughs> a winter wonderland would be a fun name. Too, yeah. Right? Yeah. But uh-huh. there's, there's people out there already living. Mm-hmm. So that would look like to me would be a really good spot. And this was the property where mostly guides from Navtech live. Yes. There's actually mm-hmm. a couple of Navtech vehicles on site. And that was one of the ones that was given, as you said, an initial green light that said, you know, this is likely, you know, you can move forward. Yes. They encouraged them that right. the, the, the likelihood of passing 
passage, successful passage is, is pretty good. All right. So that is moving forward. That was a tough ordinance to write. It's hard to create these new ideas and bring them to fruition. Like how do you create a residential camp park for local employees? But right. the county is attempting to do so. Okay. Well, more coverage in the TI this week. And finally, Doug, you were able to do a story about Greene County School District Business Administrator Pat Wilson, who has now left the school district. Yes. Pat's been there a little over two years. I spoke to Taryn Kay on uh, Tuesday, mm-hmm. uh, school district superintendent, and um, she's really, really um, sad to see mm. him go. Mm-hmm. To use her words, she's super sad to see him <laughs> yeah. go. But the reason why he's leaving is just absolutely tragic, and I want to get into that really quick without okay. going into too much detail. His uh, son recently graduated from medical school, and he's doing a residency at a hospital in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. And uh, his wife, um, she gave birth, but there were severe complications, and she ended up dying. Oh, So he's got a newborn and a 16-month-old at home, Mm -hmm. and um, just just tragic. Mm -hmm. And um, Pat and his wife are moving from Moab to Buffalo, New York, in the winter to help help their son care for these children. Oh, Um, man, that's such a horrible situation. So Pat is moving back to Buffalo because of this family situation. And it seemed like Taryn wanted to say a few good words about him and what he did for the school district. Is that right? Yeah, it was it was two parts. She wanted to acknowledge uh, Pat's service. He accomplished an awful lot in two years. Um, number one, he got their finances mm-hmm. back in order. They're in very solid financial mm-hmm. footing, according to Taryn. And it was in disarray. The finances yeah. of the school district, as anybody was, who was here a couple of years ago mm-hmm. remembers that it was quite a problem. He also uh, reinstituted um, the building committee. He oversaw the construction of Margaret L. Hopkins Middle School mm-hmm. and really held the contractor's feet to the fire to make them do what they said they were going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, he got all the buildings in ADA compliance. And most of them already were in ADA compliance. But can they get inside with difficulty or that can they get inside or outside mm. with ease? Mm-hmm. And he changed, he made changes to make it right. easier for the disabled to get in and out of, of uh, school buildings. Uh, she, she called him a quiet hero. And I think that's a pretty cool thing to, to be. Uh, clearly, the district is going to miss him. And that was the second part of, of the interview is they're looking for a new business administrator and it's it's finance, but there's no degree program specifically on school finance. And school finance, because of coding and all kinds of other mm-hmm. issues, you know, reporting requirements, mm-hmm. uh, it's unlike any other kind of finance. Mm. It takes a lot, and the district cannot afford what an assistant business administrator would get at a bigger district. So they're probably going to have to look long and hard to find it. The job pays between uh, 110 and 150 uh, mm-hmm. depending on, on experience. But um, it's going to be a tough key fill. Doug McMurdo, editor at the Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. Moab has a new club for young equestrians. As Allison Hartford of the Moab Sun News explains, they've already held a rodeo and have plans to compete across the region. 
The Red Rock and Blue Youth Rodeo um, is pretty new, and it was started by Moab Equestrians Rachel Cresto and Desi Calvert, who started the rodeo club to give local and regional kids a place to learn skills and the opportunity to compete in equestrian sports without having to travel. The club is open to boys and girls of any age as soon as they're able to ride, so Cresto said the club has about 30 current members, ranging from 2 and 3 years old up to 18 years old, and they meet every week to learn and practice skills. Amazing. Okay. Okay, yeah. so are they doing um, stuff mainly at the Old Spanish Trail Arena? Are they doing other trail rides? Yeah, yeah. So it's mostly at the Old Spanish Trail Arena, and they've been holding a few little events. So they held their first rodeo on November 12th, which featured various timed events. And then other clubs from the region will travel to Moab to participate in this because, you know, we're in this rural area. There aren't a lot of these rodeo clubs, and so a lot of people are utilizing this resource. Um, and in December, on December 10th, there was a horse games event, which included like a Christmas tree relay and an obstacle course and this barrel course called Fox and the Hound, which is a game that's kind of similar to tag that's played on horseback. Wow. Yeah. And our club members also travel. So they traveled recently um, to Colorado to hear a champion barrel racer and motivational speaker named Amberly Snyder talk. So yeah, the club is like practicing, they're hosting these events, and they're also doing these little um, like field trips together too. How long has this club been around? Not very long at all. Their first ever rodeo was in November. What was their inspiration for starting it? Or should I say, like, what do they like about it? So the organizers said that they started it because they are equestrians themselves. And they first approached Grand County High School about sponsoring a rodeo club, but the district had some concerns about safety. Mm. So they went ahead with their own club with the hope that if the club is successful, then the schools will be more open to the idea of sponsoring an official club where students could letter and earn scholarships. Mm. So really, the start of the club was to prove that they could have a fun and safe rodeo club and have it be recognized like a sport. The next club rodeo will be on February 11th and will feature barrel events, poles, a flag race, and a pickup race. Oh, so neat. Where do you want to take us next in the Moabs and News, Allie? Um, yeah, so figure drawing sessions are back, and these are every other Thursday, three-hour sessions at the Mark. Figure drawing as in there's a live model, and artists come to sort of draw that live model? Is that what we're talking about? Yes, okay. yeah. So artists of all skills and all mediums are invited to come, and there's always a live model, and um, yeah, sessions are three hours. So I talked to local artists, artist Greg McDonald, who has been involved with the drawing session since 2018. Um, and this month, he's acting as a substitute facilitator. And he's filling in for Dustin Hardgrove, who's a local painter who will resume facilitating sometime later in the winter. What should people expect if they attend one of these live sessions? So participants should bring their own supplies. And um, the sessions begin with a couple short poses so that everyone can warm up. So the model and the group um, will start with these like two to five minute poses and slowly transition into longer poses and some at the end will last like up to an hour and a half to allow for painters especially mm -hmm. to get used to drawing the pose and there's really no um like structured instruction because the sessions are centered around this low-key casual practice and participants are really encouraged to learn from one another so greg mcdonald is a painter and he said he paints every day alone 
And usually artists work solo, but he said there's something really remarkable to be able to draw with other people who are Hmm. all doing the same thing. And so there's this sense of community and learning through osmosis and really seeing all the different ways that people can interpret the same exact pose. So people are super free to share their work and talk about their work with others if they want to, but the whole idea is to just have people feel comfortable and want to draw. McDonald said the real holdup is that drawing feels very intimidating, Mm -hmm. especially in a group like this that you know, everyone's drawing the same thing and some drawings may look better or mm-hmm. like whoever is drawing them may think that theirs is terrible or something like that. But he really encouraged anyone who's interested to come by. He said, you know, people have been drawing ever since they were children. And when we were kids, we used to draw all the time without any fear at all. Right. And now as we get older, we develop this fear. And he said, as an artist, that fear never really goes away. But with practice, you learn to quiet it. Yeah, he really encouraged everyone to come out and, as he said it, engage in the beauty of the human form. Hmm. All right. And there's more in the Mobson News. There's an article about the upcoming Winter Lude. Tell us about that if you don't mind. Yeah. So the Moab Music Festival has a ton of events throughout the year, aside from their huge annual um, festival in the fall. And so every winter they do this Winter Lude Festival, which runs for a week. There are two pillars of it. So there's a lot of student and adult workshops, and then there are also performances, and they always bring in a guest artist. So this year, the Moab Music Festival is um, diverting a little bit. So they're really known for chamber music, but this year they're focusing on jazz for Winterlude. So the guest artist is um, a saxophone musician named Allison Shearer. And so all week, the Allison Shearer Quartet, along with a violinist and a cellist um, and a pianist, will all be teaching these workshops and also the Allison Shearer Quartet will put on a couple performances throughout the week. Did you get to talk to them or at the music festival? Yeah, I talked to both. Um, so Allison Shearer just released her first album last year. And so when she comes and performs, she'll be performing a couple of her own pieces along with a few like jazz classics. And then she's also a teacher and she's been a music teacher for a really long time. And so she's really excited to host and teach at these workshops. So we talked a little bit about the difference between teaching students and adults and jazz. And she really said that jazz is fun because there are almost no wrong notes. Mm -hmm. Like jazz is at its core an improv art. And so that's what she'll be teaching at these workshops is kind of how to do improv through jazz. And so there are a bunch of different workshops. So students all week, Grand County students will be getting these like in-school workshops during their music lessons. And then also the Beacon String program will do a couple after-school workshops for their little group. And then for adults in the community who are interested in doing a couple workshops, there will be a free improv workshop from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. on Saturday, January 28th at the Grand Center. And the showcase again is when, Allie? So the showcase will take place at the end of the week. Um, So it'll be on Friday, February 3rd at 7 p.m. at Star Hall. And the full Winterlude week runs from Friday, January 27th to Saturday, February 4th. And on Friday the 27th, Allison Shearer will do mm-hmm. a tiny station concert at 11 a.m. Regular listeners of KZMU can hear her play on the airwaves, too. Yeah. And then later that day, um, she'll also do a jazz happy hour at 5.30 p.m. at Josie Wyatt's Grill, which is free. Allison Harford, reporter at the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com.
That's it for the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. You can find the ones that were mentioned today in the show notes at our website, kzmu.org, or wherever you listen to the KZMU News podcast. As always, thank you for tuning in and supporting KZMU Community Powered Radio.